Brooklyn Poets Yobcast for August 8th, 2016, featuring poet Patricia Spears Jones leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I'm your host and MC, Jason Koo, Executive Director of Brooklyn Poets. The Brooklyn Poets Yop takes place on the second Monday of every month at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street off Smith Street near the FG stop. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org where you can sign up. This month's open mic lineup featured Derek Hawkins, Safet Bektesevich, Kayla Martin, Anton Yakovlev, Ketriana Ivan, Bob Ward, Judy Schneier, Olivia McGill, Jackie Brage, Arthur Russell, Tyler Thayer, Richard Fine, Anam Kamlan Sitar, Chris Roberts, Connor Crawford, Ricardo Hernandez, Julie Hart, Richard Loeb, Rachel Corso, George Brocklehurst, and Nawal Maradovich. So, let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Lake. Okay, welcome back. You probably noticed something very different tonight. If you don't have a mic. No mic! That's because... How can it be open? That's because I left the lights on in my car. And the way the Ford Fusion is built is when your battery runs out, the entire car gets locked down. Super annoying. The mic is in my trunk. Along with the cables that connect the mic to my speakers. So, what we are doing to try to continue to record the podcast, we'll see if it works. If it doesn't, there just won't be a Yopcast this month, which I know will be a tragedy for all of you. But we're going to try to record on my camera mic. So I ask that tonight, instead of speaking into the mic like I usually ask you to do, I want you to try to project as much as possible so that the sound gets picked up. We have a pretty good mic and the camera should get picked up as long as you're not talking like Right? I'm also going to try to take pictures with the same camera, so it's like, we'll see how much the Canon 70D is worth it tonight. You know, I spent a lot of money on that damn camera, we'll see what it's worth tonight. Um, if you haven't been here before, this is the Brooklyn Post Yop Open Mic. You get three minutes on the said mic, which is the phantom in front of your face. Please try not to go over. As I've said before, we all know when you're going over the three minutes, and uh, we will just hate you silently amongst ourselves and talk shit about you behind your back and say nice things to your face. But you know, try not to go over. Just be polite. There's a lot of people, not only on the open mic line, we try to get through 20 poets if you can. Just watch out for that camera, Kristen. Thank you. And uh, there are a lot of people on the wait list. So if you are on the wait list, those of you on the wait list certainly appreciate it if, if everyone keeps to their three-minute time limit. Um, we have a lot of announcements. Fall workshops are beginning uh, this September. The first workshop deadlines are September 18th, which is a Sunday. It's the Sunday of the Brooklyn Book Festival. 
Uh, a lot of you got the flyers in the front. There will be a newsletter going out tomorrow morning. Most, I think all of the workshops are now up on our website, so if you want to check those out tonight, you can. Uh, we do have fellowships for students in need. If you don't have the, the bread to pay for workshops, we, uh, you can apply for a fellowship. We're trying to award three to four per season if we can. That gets you free tuition to a workshop of your choice. So check that out also on our website. Some of the workshops and fellowships, you should be able to find it. Uh, what else is there? Oh, we vote for Poem of the Month every month. As those of you who've been here know, uh, if you win Poem of the Month, you get a place in our Poem of the Year contest at the end of the year. That is in December. You also get free admission to a future yacht. The number to make your vote, I'm about to give it to you, is my personal cell phone number. <laughs> so it's very exciting not only to vote, but to send me absurd messages, as many of you do, <laughs> sometimes anonymously. My number to make your vote, you can either say the poet's name or the poet. The poem's name, if you can remember that, or both, that, that'd be incredible. 718-374-1953, that is the number to make your vote. You can't vote for yourself, that's the only rule. The whole point is to celebrate other poets. Of course, you might do that anonymously, and I might not know, in which case you'll probably go to hell. <laughs> no, no big deal. You can't vote for somebody who won. Hell is the only punishment, you know. You also, well, you could. You could vote for someone who won before, but you'd kind of be wasting your vote because you can only win once per year. We're trying to think of every Who won this year? I can't even remember. Connor Crawford, Emily Blair, Bill I think none of those people are here, actually. Did anyone who won this year, is anyone here that won this year? I've won this year. Robert Gibbons won this year. So this man, who's an amazing poet, you could vote for his poem, but you'd be wasting your vote. Right? Like voting for Jill. It'd be like, it'd be like voting for Bernie Sanders. It's like awesome, but sorry, he's not on the running anymore. So it's just the way it is. Uh, it's the way that Robert Gibbons with Bernie Sanders. That's, that's, that's really strange. Uh, sorry. 718 uh, So our first reader of the night, please give a big round of applause again for Patricia Spears Jones. started with a great new poem. Uh, I'm sure that one of them will become a poem of the whatever. <laughs> uh, okay, so three points. And this is from my book, A Lucid's Fire, New and Selected Poems. That's right, four decades of fabulous work. If you don't have it, get it. I got it. Thank you. Thank you. You got it too. Yeah. All right, there you go. <laughs> Uh, the Perfect Lipstick. When the life-size replicas of the Niña de Pinta and the Santa Maria precariously sailed into New York Harbor, they looked like toy ships. Just think, Columbus in a toy ship, off to discover the perfect route, the fastest way to China, the Indies, all that spice. He never got this far north, but all the same, the slaughter of whole peoples, 
buildings that even God had not thought of in 1492, and expulsion, discovery, the slave trade, all followed. Out of this horror came new foods, new clothes, new shoes, a language as mixed as the blood of the people and as alienated. But there are times when the connections, no matter how fragile, hold. Like the thick sails of those ships, <coughs> which decorated the harbor July 4th in fog and gentle light. It is why I appreciate my favorite shade of lipstick, Sherry Velour. Sounds like the name of a drag queen from the early 70s. <laughs> One of those strapping black men who had enough of playing macho, put their feet in five-inch heels, and made saints of Dinah Washington, Rita Hayworth, and a very young Nina Simone. So, on goes this lipstick, perfect for parties, fatal for festivals, sherry velour and her hot discoveries, light above the fog, a toy ship, black men in sequin dresses, and the click of new words in a new world where the most dangerous of dreams come true. Janet Kaplan, who's another Brooklyn-based poet and also wonderful publisher, uh, made me do this uh, chapbook, and it's called Swimming to America, and in it is actually a poem called After South Pacific, which is a lot about the war in the Pacific, and is based on um, you know, that wonderful musical, which is based on James Michener's A Tale of Tales of the South Pacific, which basically is another way of talking about the World War II narrative, but from the position of a guy who actually recognized the issues around racism in the world. I will strongly suggest that someday you read that. Not a great writer, but an important one. And the musical is gorgeous, of course. Anyway, after South Pacific. These songs are anxious for expectations of joy as if a jungle will break, revealing butterflies surrounding their favorite bush. These songs mingle baritone and soprano, and evening enchanted, our damsel sparkling, spunky, and damaged. Race is her poison, his is loneliness. They find their corners and listen to worlds crashing. Mothers hauling daughters from outpost to bush, praising the lost hymen, Bartering for marriage, the virgin's gift a trick. Hush. The, ter the tenor stumbles from her beauty under weight of rain. How rare is it to see? The proscenium holds this bare-chested man's anguished song. Something seasonal, sweet, desire and heat, carnage and courage, valor, danger, pitiable, warrior's wounds, open, festering or sutured and cleaned. The nurses crying. What we hear is the little rock lady coming to her senses. What we hear is the Frenchman's survival, the lieutenant's heroism. Bloody Mary's lost horizons, her daughter done in by death. Quick, 
the writer works to get their stories down. He maps brutality's expanding landscape, then finds remnants of the butterfly's bush. He wishes he had left it for others to discover. We now know why she says, Is about the South. Um, this is written after the last time I was home, which was a month before my mother died. Nothing is planned. The magnolia pod, still pungent, had it stayed on the tree, it would have opened. Petals, white, fist-sized, vexing the dark green leaves and their massive weight. The birds are thrilled by them, and tornadoes seem to leave them be. The oaks are huge, too, and the willows spreading. Where there were houses, there are trees, bushes, birds, the primeval all due to property taxes unpaid or heirs not found, or the last resident moved to a nearby nursing home to die while the city demolishes. This new parkland, scattered between well-tended older cottages, new yellow or red brick houses, homes, and the occasional shack. A neighborhood helter-skelter, nothing here is really planned unless poverty is planned. I kept the pod and a friend said, are you going to plant it? And I thought, where in Brooklyn could I plant this seed? I have no yard. And even if I did, this magnolia would not grow so huge, so looming as the ones in my hometown. A magnolia needs heat and rain and a quality of suffering that the South has, despite the malls, the squeaky clean cars, the Protestant churches at every intersection, and Bible verses on the backs of business cards. Jesus is always watching, watching. Watching. Jesus is watching you. reader of the night, not named Patricia Spears Jones, making our second reader of the night, is Derek Hawkins. Give it up for Derek. I was going to do a, this is my gone thing, but I joke, can't go to the joke. I don't have four decades worth of work, so I'll do something I wrote a little while ago. <laughs> This is Love Me Until the Batteries Die. Through greasy streaks on a smudged phone screen. I, I see can't you. hear you. Though. Sorry. <clears throat> Love Me Until the Batteries Die. Through greasy streaks on a smudged phone screen, I see you. You buffer in between sentences, <coughs> and sometimes your face freezes like Venus the Milo. But here you are, immaculate. I feel your presence 6,000 miles away. Waves, an ocean of satellite signals keep us together. 
the moon we once shared sets the tide above our electric reunion, and I'll abide with the lagging voices and an interference of clouds over rooftops. What did you say? I said, how is the sunrise over your rooftop? My battery's dying. I gotta go. Three chirps, three beeps chirp along to cricket songs beneath my windowsill. And sometimes I confide in the deep black void, searching for stars bleached out over foreign heads. It reminds me of a monitor speckled in flakes of dust. Terrible tonight to really try to like recharge. Our next poet is Safa Bektesovic. Give it up for Safa. Well, um, reflection on the on the nature of time. So you are telling me that I have to cite Sartre, Dante, Borges, Plato, and Rimbaud. Now, I have a question. How come not even a single one of those guys ever quoted me? <laughs> and why did they, uh, did they get away with it? Ah, Western linear time. Western linear time. Is that how you call a mistake nowadays? 36 hours later, in the Peter Fitch room at the Public Library on Fifth Avenue, I'm reviewing the, the, the shelves of books in a section of volumes from the 15th century. The spines of the books look at me. Their sublime eyelashes scratch my fingers. All of a sudden, I come to discover a small green book whose spine has no name. I take it out of its prison of paper and open to a certain cage. Dust emanates, emanates, and flies into the light of the floating noon hour. I read three, four, five lines, and then I come casually to my name written on one of them. That's what's written, my name and the description of what I do, or rather, what I don't know I do. For 436 years later, I read my name. 436 years later that, that now mean nothing. They have lost all meaning now. I am alarmed at the relevance of the discovery. There is no sooner, no later, no times gobbling each other like snails, snake snails. Only times that no longer will come but are all present at the same time. I close the book, perhaps frightened, perhaps humbled at the revelation of my greatest expectations about the role I play over time. I stay still for a second and decide, and decide not to, not to tell anyone. I leave the book where he was and walk down the marble stairs. And deep down, I know what I am, what I want, but nobody else knows. A blessing of paper is what has been. Just out of pure vanity, I keep asking the college girls, as the pedantic guy that I have turned out to be. <laughs> so why did, why did not a single one of those guys ever quote me and still get away with it? They obviously don't know what to reply. I smile then. I cannot help but smile at the blessing of their confused faces. Uh, 
Thank you, Safed. One note, don't touch this phone up here. It's recording. Right? We're recording two different ways to cover our tracks. It might be an epic fail in two different ways. <laughs> or a double success. Our next poet of the evening is Kayla Martin. Give it up for Kayla. Accelerate on the Harding Way, mark a waterless white fountain, rises from fresh fallen snow, spurting from its core, flags, rosary beads, the bright fake flowers flow and fade round the sharp curve, along the eroded exposing batholith boulder cuts deep into the road, turns narrow in places, core guardrails, rock, Rock shift, rock falls. Bikers and trekkers puff black smoke, climbing the edge on a white knuckle ride. Anna Kathleen, AKA K, always known as K, who lived on Toll Mountain in a small cabin right past the totem pole. Her hands rest upon her lap, paper thin skin protruding purple. Veins rose up, throbbing to rest in the hard, round amethyst, pumped, bound in gold, round her middle finger, tremble to the slightest touch, cut from the Pondorf mine in 1964. The earth's heart heated violent. Violets, violets, violets. Violets, violets, violets. Violets, violets, violets. Our next poet, I think, is also a friend of yours, Arthur. So I'm expecting a huge round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for, is it Yakovlev? Anton Yakovlev. Anton Yakovlev. The great Iranian filmmaker Abbas Kiarostami passed away on July 4th. Um, he, uh, Kiarostami was also a poet. And uh, I read one of his books uh, a few years ago. So I'm going to read a poem in his memory I wrote a few years ago, uh, which is, uh, ends with a line from one of his poems. A Celestial Absolute. Back when you were a cloud, I would raise my eyes. And right away, I kind of knew a direction. When the wind sliced you into two halves, I knew not where to turn the compass, not what to think, not how to explain this thing that had come to pass. I guess you had never been a regular human being, but I failed to see if this had made you more or less than. And the mountains told me nothing. Then a bee flew up to me and stung me. It was a huge bee. When I tried to hold it, it fell out of my hands. It was so huge. Dying in the field, I said, holy rusted metal, will someone please play some songs at my funeral? They all would. 
but I kept getting better. Now I have a shelf full of sad music, but I still listen to it. I really don't know why. It's playing now. You float across the sky, one half of you blocking the Southern Cross. When little bears attacked the weather station last month, they lost all traces of the other. For all I know, it may be the cloud outside my window, or over the graveyard where I go for walks with my cell phone, because the dead won't hear me. Once I fell into a grave, and nobody pulled me out. You used to throw flowers on graves, tenderly recalling the names of those you knew, buried elsewhere. You used to milk cows, too, listening to poetry a stranger told you, but not really listening at all. You lived in darkness, reaching out for fireflies as the only means of lighting your way out. Meanwhile, they had given me stars on a plate, and my spirit, like a plate, burned out. Tonight, two strangers sleep, separated by a grand canyon, on comfy couches, to the sound of apocalyptic static. Endless poetry runs across the TV screen, and it's all about bees, 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 plus a sweating scarecrow. Not an eye moves. And then the blue light cuts in. The moon comes out with its wicked axe. The ballroom floor is enlivened by some death metal. I felt a lot. And when I left, it had rained. Next up is the poet, not in Arthur's personal fan club, but no less than a poet. Give it up for Ketriana Ivan. for a way out. I am nothing but nature and water. There is nothing but nature and water, and I know it survives. I have a faith. I am rescued by love. It arrives on time, and it is not in a bottle. Love takes me higher than fire with flames, burning through the emptiness of despair and all its illusions. I am elevated to a level that takes me out of here, a vision that lifts me to another plane. I am from the shaman. I am, I am lifted up, and I see a man with a smile that says, I am home. I am free. Love has saved me. No need for a boat or a plane or anything by another name. I am loved. I am loved. My spirit gently guides turns towards the hour, helping promote freely everything to support me in whatever I want, whenever I want, go wherever, where I want. 
world. Not when, even in the delivery room, new age music can be played. Your mother shrieks? Well, it was up to her. She could have taken a pill and delivered pain-free. Soon she will take you home. She will teach you how to choose from hundreds of radio stations, thousands of podcasts. Oh, you don't want to open your eyes? You're afraid? Well, no need to worry. With flat screens on every wall, just use the remote. Even if you are teething, just bite down. Use your gums to change channels. Begin with cartoon superheroes. Move on to anti-hero superheroes. Then sex superheroes. Geriatric superheroes. Put them all together. They can teach you everything you need to know. Oh, money? Your mom worries about money. Well, in the movies, no one ever pays a bill. Just cut to the next scene. Be clever. Bad guys are easy to identify. Be humorous. Find a way to start a fight. Death? You worried about death? Don't be silly. Death is only a temporary illusion. Soon another chase scene. Finally the climactic battle. But what? You're worried all this might not be real? You're worried you might end up in a dead-end job? Bored? Unhappy? Get real. Obstacles present you with opportunities. Worst comes to worst, wait for the intermission. Find a bathroom so you can pee. Use real money to buy candy. Yes, sometimes you even have to vote. Perhaps you will choose a man who will banish all evil. Or perhaps you prefer a diplomatic woman. It doesn't matter. Just pull a lever, darken the circle, tear off the hanging chad. Oh, you're worried about that? That's ridiculous. Of course, you'll be allowed to vote. You're not one of those who, well, you know what I mean. You just want it to be over. You want to restart the movie. So what if everything appears hopeless? You know the drill. Soon the credits will roll. When the lights come on, what? <coughs> you're still worried? Well, just relax. Take a deep breath. Take a pill. Trust that everything is under control. Trust that all problems will be solved in the sequels. Still worried? Take another pill. And another. Put your faith in the sequels. Thank you, Bob. Next up is a regular performer at the Brooklyn Poets Yard Open Mic. Give it up for Judy Schneier. The Sun. 
bought a scythe, a whole kit, so you yourself could sharpen it. You'll hike up and cut the brush that blocks the hikers and bikers on their trail. You want to clear it with a scythe. No tools with batteries squirting electricity. You'll swing your arm and cut. Behind your home, mountains rise. Your condo is a modest size. The grocery sits across the parking lot. Your car has a spot. You leave your door unlocked. Inside, it's filled with gear, bikes, boots, and skis. A two-person saw to cut trees, and now, Aside, when you enter the woods, you'll leave this time behind. It could be a hundred years ago you carried an aside. Who has time? Even out west where everybody mountain bikes and wants to run trails fast, who has time to hike up and cut away the mess. You'll do it. You repainted your canoe. You summer waxed your skis. You trued your wheels. You'll side the trails. Tomorrow you'll bike them. Attack the steep. Carve curves. Absorb the shocks and jolts. Find a line through rocks and roots. Soar quads and sweat. Solve your woes. Each race purifies. But your times get slow. Someday, you'll hike up in the bitter cold. Stay put, refuse to move. Freezing bodies eventually feel warm. You'll lie down on your trail or just stay still. I may join you, it might be too cold. There, I'll rest and be warm. Thank you, Judy. How's everyone doing? Good. <laughs> Real good. Julie, you gave me that like veteran poetry reading nod. Yeah. Uh, reminder to vote for best poem of the night, 718-374-1953, and uh, continue to speak up into the room. I feel like I had another really important announcement that I forgot about, so maybe I'll remember next time. Um, our next poet, I don't believe has read before, correct me if I'm wrong when you get up here, give it up for Olivia McGill. <coughs> Yeah.
pastoral. Sharp shaded clouds, a hard gray body, cusps of white. At the park, they lay black tarp over the pond because of algae blooms, trash piles on top of it. Framed by the window, the dark moon scene taunts, judges, is ashamed. The last we will see of the old world, sublime and ordinary. Okay, this is the second one. If we ever opened up the old fireplace, I think we'd find a catacombs of pigeon skeletons. Hell's Kitchen, the doll's house of a railroad tenement. I see my mother laying in bed, pearls hang from picture frames. And she makes me think about women's women and men's women, which is odd because she is neither. The cats lump on top of her, mimicking her cat-like malaise. She is flat, watching sensationalism in silk underwear. The TV has a broken tube that wipes across all faces. Do I want to be a woman's woman or a people's woman or a people's person? The room beats dull, my dad bombards, ruffles the stale stillness, shakes my mother's dusty body into indignant motion. The tender harmony of the family sets in with his presence. Now I want to be a man's man or a people's man. My dad only did one cruel thing. They asked him to get rid of the rats, so he plastered the entrance to their nest. And the diners complained of the squeals. My dad chuckles, shuffling unwelcomed energy like the meaty, papery birds my mother despises. Thank you, Lydia. I remember my announcement. If you don't want to be on the podcast, which may or may not happen, <laughs> tell me, and we will take you off the recording. Otherwise, we assume that you are okay with us recording your voice and broadcasting it to the millions of poetry lovers. Um, subscribe to the Yachtcast. I'm not sure we have any official subscribers. <laughs> but there are people who listen to it, so you will be heard. Uh, our next poet up tonight is a very fine poet. Give it up for Jackie Brage, I think is how you pronounce it. Hey. Right, so I have, um, I guess what's more of a prose poem. It's called uh, Paper Hat. You're sitting alone at a bar, nursing a whiskey sour, when Albert Camus walks in at half past ten. He brushes a few raindrops from his hair, slightly splintered and gray at the ends, hangs his trench coat on the rack. He's carrying a briefcase. He orders a glass of wine. He sits next to you. You can't believe it. You clear your throat. Too loud music pokes your ears as you pretend to listen, arms crossed. He's writing in a manuscript. You wonder if his heart is broken, not for himself or his wife, but for you and for the bartender. He's sifting his wine glass in circular motions, and you imagine the world's tiniest ship hoisting its mast <coughs> and crying out final prayers as waves of wine hurl overboard. He sees you watching. He says nothing. You tear page 151 from the book etherized on the bar top before you, and craft a paper hat from it. You grin all proud-like and hold it up to him, and you wait until he notices. He does. He shakes his head the way your father does and tells you it's absurd. It is. He pays a tab for his wine, tucks a manuscript under his arm, 
puts his trench coat back on, and leaves. You watch him open a car door and duck inside, but you know that it's the wrong car, the very wrong car. You've read the biographies before. You know that he will end in broken glass and unfinished pages sprawled across a slick, wet street. You look at your paper hat and fidget with the corners. You feel guilty for your silence. You begin to wonder if death is an honest democracy. Poet of the evening needs no introduction. Give it for Arthur Russell. Yeah. Needs none, so he gets none. <laughs> I want to read for you. Oh, by the way, Anton and I come from the Red Wheelbarrow Poets in Rutherford, New Jersey. We meet on Wednesday nights at City Hall on the second floor in the Blue Room, have a workshop, and once a month, we have a reading across the street at the Williams Center. You're all welcome to come. I wanted to read for you tonight a persona poem, uh, a poem written from the point of view of a squirrel trap. It's called Trap to Squirrel. The July sun is going to come out from behind the mature white pine that the homeowner planted when he and his wife moved into this house 20 years ago. The mature white pine in which you now live. The morning light will warm the peanut butter that he has smeared on the bread positioned mostly under the brick at the back of my cage, and the smell is going to spread like perfume on the main floor of Bloomingdale's. You will float down that pine tree on the wafting coils of that smell, and you won't even feel the tree bark passing under your scratchy little claws. And you'll stand there, looking into my mouth, and pick up the pre-baked peanut that he left there so that you would have a worry-free nosh while you consider coming inside. You won't notice him and his wife standing behind their patio door, sipping Ethiopian coffee with notes of cherry, chocolate, and citrus. Because your neural transmitters will be flooded by the heroin scent of Worth County, Georgia peanuts from the sandwich at the back of my cage. You won't even wonder why a brick mostly covers your open-faced peanut butter sandwich, because yesterday you reached over the trigger and stole the bait he tied to the bottom of the cage with bakery string, and you ate it, sitting back on your haunches while your tail curled and uncurled with otherworldly nonchalance. <laughs> he put the brick there 
to make it awkward. So you'll need to plant your back feet directly on the treadle to pry the sandwich loose. Look, all of these stories end the same way. The door comes down and the thrashing begins. In long sleeves and leather gloves, he carries us to the truck. We drive to the Jewish cemetery in Lindhurst <laughs> far enough so you can't come home. We continue out to section F, block 5, row H, lot 3, where he gets out, leaves the engine running, drops the tailgate, opens the door, and watches you bolt with a magical leap and zag away between the graves. Then he puts a little rock on the top of his father's headstone and drives away. Thank you, Arthur. Next up is, I believe, another Yop debuter. Give it up for Tyler Thayer. Suddenly, a spire, spurting colossal from the pigment waves, startling lovers at their banquet of self-imposed exile to plunge on pure impulse, when suddenly, a choir, echoing melodies of an alien subterrane, priests and clergy abound with the sonorous Debussean ether of a world forgotten by time, when suddenly, a fire, burning passionate and lovers leaving a life of language to join the fleeting barge of a holy nowhere, when suddenly, a liar, playing soft beneath the gifted waves to mourn gentle hearts taken by the sunken cathedral. Thanks. Thank you, Tyler. Brilliant and efficient. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to all of us. <laughs> Our next poet is a Yelp legend. Give it up for Richard Fine. Rediscovered phone numbers. So you found an old appointment book with an odds and ends phone number. But the name and address, did it fade away? Was it erased? A number for whom? For whom? For whom? Or for what? What you should be saying is, for whatever, then toss the long forgotten book away but you're like a neurotic screaming at long-dead parents, and so you're about to dial. And what will you be greeted with? This number has been disconnected. Or worse, some unfamiliar voice might say, hello, and you'll say nothing or stutter, sorry, wrong number. Or worst of all, a once familiar voice might call your name saying, is that you? And suddenly you'll call why you stop calling. <laughs> Guidelines. Poets should submit a batch of no more than five short poems or two long ones. Why batch? Why not one of these terms? Collection. Only if the bard is a lapidary and his creations are gems. Compendium. 
a yawning assemblage of erudite blah blah blah. <laughs> Sample, fine for urine or stools. <laughs> Specimen, too close in nuance to sample. <laughs> Store, too commercial. And how many editors pay for poems? Manuscript, okay for those editors who do. Heap, might be accurate for some submissions. Digest, but if you're confronted with a heap, you might heave. Mass, produces an inertial yawn. Anu, collections of <coughs> woe-is-me confessionals, but they're all passé since Plath. Miscellaneous, not for thematic, thematic editions. Apology or compilation, but if a, <coughs> excuse me, anthology or a compilation. But if a poet reaches this level, then the editors submit to the poet. Lot. Submissions are lotteries and not a lot succeed. How about bouquet? A bouquet of five short stem poetic wildflowers, or two long stem versified roses, or one bashful sunflower. Thank you, Richard. We have another Yacht debuter. It's a night of debuters. I hope I get this name correct. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Anum? Give it up for Anum Kamran Sakar. Yeah. <laughs> now there's 
those were the days. Missed, missed one time. I'll see, it all takes down. one, yeah. one four. It just takes one mistake. <laughs> okay, our next vote of the night is Chris Roberts. Give it up for Chris. <laughs> Um, this one's called Adoptee. There is no blood in this one. Mom and Dad have never had to tell him so. He's known by his reflection, yellow skin, black hair, for longer than his memory goes back. That lie, the truth, as it continues on, love splinters like a bone. And they don't see it in the photographs from Disney World, the graduation cap and gown, the glow that makes his face so similar to theirs, not seeming to belong where he was born, and so he cannot say the words out loud about his ancestry, the question of his blood, which doesn't matter, but it does. Thank you, Chris. Once again, brilliant and efficient. I'm going to make a brilliant and efficient poet. Will that be B-E-P? <laughs> Our next poet of the evening is a former poem of the month winner, as was Chris. Yes, you were. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and some other people I forgot to mention. Give it up for Connor Crawford. What's up, guys? Um, I'm going to read two this month. Uh, one short and one medium. Um, okay. It's called... God bless this house cleared out. He felt like a pornographer in there revving. Secret cars projected crosses on the ceiling, and she traced them with a navy blue sharpie standing on her tiptoes. Her toe tendons flexed, digging into the comforter, and he kept time with the moon, lying down sweaty and following it when it would go under her gown. But she looked down at him with her bear trap eyes as if to say it didn't matter to her. It's called River. <clears throat> We're a river, or at least a hot tub by the river, tempering chocolate with an eye on the lights upstairs. The moon gets all over you, stains you. I can't rub it out of you. Moonlight, so alive and brilliant, it makes me see my shadow down on the river. Yours appears, too, enveloped in the jets, pretzeled and milky. I hold you down in the water. I hold you down because you beg me to, clawing and thrusting. The things you whispered into my wet ear. I'm going to read up on mother's milk. I'm going to read up on pleasure there. What you whispered between breaths still reverberating through my whole body, a red-hot pendulum without air drag. Well, if we didn't follow this goddamn river to its drain, a rusted, mossy thing the size of a tractor tire, its deafening slurp gonna leave a lifelong ring in my ears. We caught the dregs of it. We couldn't read them. We rearranged them how we saw fit. Connor. By the way, where are all my birthday presents? 
We all the presents. They're in the bar. It was my 40th birthday last week. It's a metaphor. Sixth day of my celebration. I will accept drinks at the bar. After the reading. Our next poet of the night is Matt Proctor. Give it up for Matt. Alright, well Matt's not reading. Uh, thank you, Matt. Our next quote of the night is Ricky Hernandez. Give it up for Ricky. I'm actually going to read the, the song or poem from earlier that I just wrote. Uh, it's called Captain Van Kirk, who was the navigator on the Enola Gay. Yes. Lieutenant Colonel Porter is heard over the radio. Captain Tibbets, you are cleared for takeoff. Captain Lewis cross-checks and gives the go that all is ready. Our B-29 picks up speed and lifts off, ready for what will be a historic flight. Major Freebie has 9,400 pounds of uranium underneath him and is as calm as if it was a horse he straddled as a child. I inform the crew we're five minutes out from the drop point. The Bombay doors swing open and the rush of high altitude air hits us with a cooling calm smack against our skin. Tell Major Freebie the time is now. Drop the little boy. Within seconds, Colonel Tibbetts banks left to head north from the city. We're all counting or staring at our watches. 45 seconds pass and the blinding white light flashes and we know it was a success. The little boy detonates above the zero point. We don't know how much damage, how much loss of life there was just yet. All we saw was the flash and the cloud above the city. Thousands of lives are on our hands now. We took them away with one bomb and we will have to live with that, no matter the outcome. This sacrifice will ripple beyond generations to come. Looking back to that moment, half a lifetime ago, the sole survivor of our flight on the Enola Gay, and I regret nothing. I only hope we never, no one ever, has to do this again. This is a persona poem that I wrote earlier today. This might be a little foreshadowing. <laughs> to whom it may concern, tonight will be my final appearance. My body has grown old and tiresome. I have been battered over the long years of service. I have shreds of self hanging from what once was spine and have half of me separated from self. I have stood in front of many steadfast, have stood in front of few, shaky. The, word, the words held within me quake at the fibers. Too many, hands up, don't shoot. Too many, wake up, they're killing us. Too many, lost, I love yous. And too many, I love yous, but I'm lost. There's too much unfinished work. Too much pain held within. I have no pages to store experience elsewhere. No ink to hide if too powerful to contain within fold. 
I only have countless measures of data residing at his fingertips, and all he does is continue to type away, strumming his pain into what I'm protecting despite my failure to remain intact. He drags me along everywhere, as if I am his artificial heart, his artificial soul that he needs at the ready at all times. He treats me as if I am part of him, uses me for what he needs without fully tending to his or my own wounds. He places band-aids over severed limbs as if time put together will mend the tendons to will mend the tendons damaged. He loves me as I am despite the damage I've endured. And yet he chose tonight to tell all that it is my time. That tonight will be my last call of duty, my final performance, final appearance, before retiring to the unloved pile of rubbish that is all final resting plots for me and the like. I am the jacket folder contained in his digital device. One day, maybe, we'll meet again. Until then, he will love his digital device and I will be a thing of the past, a fleeting memory of protection, a distant lover furthering its space from what once was my fingertips of affection. Thank you for being you and loving me the only way you know how. Thank you, Ricky. Our next poet is the Opera of the Year from 2015. Give it up for Julie Hart. So I took uh, the Herbert seminar with Arthur. And afterwards, she challenged us to write some Herbert-inspired poems. And so this is one of them that I wrote that was inspired by one of his called The Agony. Philosophers and physicists prefer their theories grand and cannot wrap their minds around the practicalities, defer when making plans to let the other kinds of people do the necessary work. Their heads are in the clouds, can't see the murk, the day-to-day, -day, the grueling part the rest of us are forced to do, since they will not. The toilets always sparkle, they're impressed. All invisible to them, fairies not the bag the trash goes out in. They're surprised when mundane junk piles up unorganized. Myself, I'm not that worried that we won't smoke out how to treat Martians when they come. Theory hasn't helped entitled folk work out how to behave to others from this world. The big crunch may be what we need. Convince them they are just like us, plus greed. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. We are on to the wait list. And since it's already 9.20, I asked the poets I'm going to call up here to please read one poem, your best poem. Better than Dante. <laughs> if you like that kind of thing. Which best poet to think of the poem that you think is better than that poet's best poem? But shorter than the inferno. You get what I mean. So our next poet is Richard Loeb. Give it up for Richard. Hey, everybody. Hi, Richard. Hello. Uh, this is uh, words. To the empty set 
of answers to the growing list of questions, I fire back with words like bullets from a machine gun clip filled with rhetorical questions. Why should this continue? Why should it be allowed? Why should there be no justice? Why should the man walk free while children die? There is no reason for your words are the greatest weapon and are most feared. They can topple 1,000 mountains, address 10,000 wrongs, 100,000 misdeeds, 1 million other misspoken words. And even if you die, your words live on. Our aerial bombardments will penetrate airwaves, DSL, fiber optics faster than any ordinance you might devise. And as Khrushchev said, we will bury you, but not with bombs, with words. We have three poets left. The next poet of the night, former student of mine, give it up for Rachel, Rachel Corson.
Can't you see how we're not the same as a Franz Klein? Thanks. Thank you, Rachel. Next up is a Brooklyn Poets Fellow from the last season, so you could be a Brooklyn Poets Fellow as well if you apply for a Brooklyn Poets Workshop Fellowship. Boy, was that a long-winded intro. Please give it up for George Brocklehurst. <laughs> Um, first time performing in public, so I thought I'd do something about panic. This is called panic. <laughs> Suddenly, out of nowhere, fight or flight. But with my wings clipped and no fight left in me, my feet slip and the ice that thinly supported me cracks. I slip through, left with nothing else to do but sink or swim. And what kind of choice is that? I can't decide. So my head swims, but my heart sinks and my lungs unaccustomed to being caught in the middle and afraid to pick a side, forget how to breathe. And then, remember, it's important, and I start to hyperventilate because they're trying to overcompensate, and I wish I could mitigate this, but it's much too late. I've already started to panic. Thank you. Thank you, George. And our last quote of the night, give it up for Nawal Maradovich. So I asked my mother, terrified, how we could possibly live half our lives upside down. And she told me about this funny little thing called gravity. Still, I started this habit of always keeping my feet planted firmly in the ground for fear that one day I would start falling and never stop. When I grew a little older, but not too much, I developed a fascination with watching the clouds glide past. They pointed to the sky and told me the earth spun around in circles so naturally I thought the clouds and the earth were the same eternal entity, this abstract noun called life. So I would calculate the speed at which the clouds made their way away from me and decide that, that was how fast the world was spinning that day. One day my teacher explained to me what it means for the earth to spin on its own axis, called it constancy, but I called it confusion. Later. It started to make more sense to me, but still, I always tried to walk a couple steps ahead for fear that one day the world would race a little too fast and leave me behind. Now that I am older, but not too much, I pride myself in understanding how the earth works, but still find flaws in this abstract noun called life, still chase after clouds because they feel like the world to me, still stare up at the sky and wonder if I am the only one who worries about crashing into it. <laughs> to read tonight and you would like to read next time, sign up as early as possible to open my line. It fills very quickly and I mean you can sign up right now on your phone brokenpost.org. We do have a mobile version of the site or you can just go home and do it on your laptop. Uh, as again I said earlier, we have fall workshops beginning in September. 
Uh, look for our newsletter tomorrow or just check out our website or get a flyer if you haven't done that. We also have two online workshops, both manuscript workshops, which will be very interesting, taught by Lee Stein and J. Scott Brownlee. Our September YOP is going to be a Brooklyn Book Festival book and event that will be on the Monday, the week preceding the Brooklyn Book Festival, which I believe is September 10th, I think it is. Or is it September 8th? I can't remember. September, I think it's September 12th. Anyway, look at your calendar, and guess who's going to be leading that workshop? Twelve. You. Myself. Wow, that was a good guess. Uh, so I will be here in MC capacity and also professorial capacity. It's going to be incredible. Whoa. Uh, vote for best poem of the night, 718-374-1953. And look for those. Hopefully this freaking podcast comes together. I'm praying to the electronic gods. Uh, I'll be downstairs at the bar accepting 40th birthday drinks. <laughs> Have a good evening. Congrats to Jackie Brage for winning Poem of the Month for her poem, Paper Hat. Jackie earns free admission to a future yop, as well as a coveted spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown in December. Once again, for more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. You can sign up for the next yop there, which comes your way on September 12th. I will be leading the September EOP workshop. Once again, my name is Jason Koo. This is an official 2016 Brooklyn Book Festival book and event. We're excited to kick off that week of book and events leading up to the Brooklyn Book Festival, which is on Sunday, September 18th. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at the next EOP. Take care.